This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company. Making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line11Clothing on Instagram. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. Welcome to the Show Up Dad podcast. This is a podcast for hardworking fathers. At the Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. Our guest today is none other than Joel Hawbaker. Joel is a blended family coach, an award-winning teacher, author, speaker, and frequent podcast guest who loves helping blended step families overcome obstacles and grow by teaching them the 10 commandments of blended family life. Joel is a divorced and remarried father of two. He currently lives in Alabama with his wife and his two daughters. Welcome to the show, Joel. Hey, thank you, David. I'm excited to be chatting with you today and look forward to hopefully sharing some things with the audience that can help encourage them in terms of their growth as a father and this journey that we call fatherhood. Absolutely, brother. I just wanted to have you open up to our audience and just tell us a little bit about your childhood as you remember it, if you don't mind, bro. Absolutely. So, my childhood, honestly, was better than some and, and worse than others, but I think it was better than most, and I'm very thankful for that um, because my, my parents were together until I was in middle school, and then they split up uh, around my eighth grade year, and it wasn't the easiest thing I've ever been through, but honestly, my parents had a better divorce than a lot of marriages that I saw, and that's something that I'm very grateful for. Uh, my parents divorced when I was, like I said, around eighth grade. And we lived with my mom, but my dad only moved about two miles down the road. And so he came and picked us up for school every day. Um, So even though we lived with mom, we saw dad five or six days a week. We went and stayed at his house every other weekend. And I had a, I mean, I had a great relationship with my dad growing up. He and I were a lot alike. We were both into sports. We had a lot of other similar interests as well. And I have purposely patterned a lot of my behavior And I wouldn't say I've been great at it, but a lot of my attempts at building character after the things that my dad taught me. Uh, Actually, the first book that I ever wrote, uh, it's actually an e-book that I've still got available on Amazon. The first book I ever wrote was called 10 Things Dad Taught Me Without Saying Anything. And it was all about these leadership lessons that my my dad had taught me. So I'm very thankful to have had a, a positive example from my dad. Even though it wasn't ideal, again, with my parents splitting up, it, it was much better than a lot of people that I, that I encounter, and I'm very grateful for that. In addition to my father, I had a really great example in my stepdad. About a year after mom and dad split up, mom started dating a man named Brian, and he and I still have a pretty good relationship, even though it's been you know 20-something years, and I'm very thankful for that as well. So I really, I've been very blessed in terms of having great father figures, um, and then the same thing you know, as an adult. I, um, had great fathers-in-law, both from my first marriage and from my second marriage. And I'm very thankful for that because, again, I, I feel like people are lucky if they get one good father figure. And I feel like I've had multiple. And so that's something that has really been beneficial to me. Absolutely. Sounds like that's just a, just the perfect perfect collaboration of, of men just being influencing in your life. You know, um, With that being said, Joel, what is something you can collaborate from each and every one of these guys that you can get and, and share with your children? One of the biggest things that I learned in different ways from, from all of my father figures, but especially from my dad, is the importance of personal responsibility. Mm. Uh, I, a lot of what I do in my day job is I'm a high school teacher and a soccer coach, and then a lot of my work outside of that is with blended families. And one of the biggest things that worries me from a lot of people that I work with is, and this is something I'm guilty of too, how quick we are to place the blame for all of our issues on other people. 
And the reason that worries me is because as long as we are blaming other people, we are somewhat powerless to change our situation. Even if our situation isn't entirely our fault, when we, when we accept responsibility for it, or at least for our choices that helped lead us to where we are, then we are empowered to overcome those choices and make different ones. But as long as I'm blaming someone else, I'm giving them power over my circumstances. And that's something that my dad really taught me when I was growing up. You can't tell because you know, your listeners, you can't tell this because you can't see us and, and I'm not standing up, but I am only five, three and a half. So I am a classic short man syndrome kind of a guy like the Napoleon complex is a real thing. And I used to gripe about it all the time because I'm an athlete too. Like I wanted to play college sports and I told my dad all the time, well, it's not fair. The other guys are bigger and stronger and blah, blah, blah. And he says, son, the, the bottom line is that doesn't matter. If you're better, then you'll play. If you're not better, it doesn't matter why you're not better. So you can either whine about it or you can get bigger, stronger, faster and get better at the game you want to play. Those are your choices. And I didn't really like hearing that, but it's very true. And it applies in every single area of our lives. If I don't like my circumstances, if I blame other people, whether it's valid or not, I'm stuck. But as soon as I take responsibility for changing the things that I can, now I can move forward. And that was extremely important to me because the same thing's been true in my journey as a father. If I didn't like where things were with my kids, as long as I was blaming them or blaming my ex or blaming whoever else, then I can't fix it. But when I accept responsibility, now I can try to change things. Even if that's not entirely fair, guess what? Life's not fair. Rub some dirt on it and move on. Hmm. I, I, I definitely just resonate with what you're saying there, Joel. Um, that's so important just to teach that personal responsibility, you know, in, in society today, we have so many people who just want to point the finger. And I think that also just opens you up to having that victim mentality, mm -hmm. that, Agreed. That, that victim mindset, you know what I mean? Where it's easy to be, woe is me and right. oh, life's I, not fair and it's their fault. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's, that's not a good way to bring up your children, you know, and I think a lot of kids right. are, are, are being brought up that way. So I think that's awesome that you're able to share that and you learn that with your children. Um, with that being said, we're talking about what we see, you know, as far as fatherhood and stuff like that. Um, what can you share with us about the state of fatherhood that you see today as far as trends and stuff like that go? So unfortunately, one of the big things that I see and have seen throughout my lifetime is a cultural devaluation in the role of a father. Um, obviously, if you look back 60 or 70 years, and this is a silly example, but like one of the best known television shows from the black and white era was Father Knows Best. And the idea that you could even have a show like that today is almost laughable. Mm -hmm. because, and, and I get why people didn't like it or don't look, don't like it looking back now. And you hear terms like patriarchy or toxic masculinity or, and I understand why some people talk about those things. I also think there, there's a large degree of hyperbole. That is, there's a huge amount of exaggeration. Mm -hmm. Are there fathers who have been bad dads? Of course there are, but that's true of every role in every relationship that's ever existed. What I don't like when I look at society is when you see people purposely knocking the role of a father because it was done badly by some people, right? That's not fair to say, well, because some fathers were bad, fathers in general aren't necessary. That's garbage. Fathers are necessary. They always have been. They always will be. And if, if we continue as a society to denigrate the role of a father, that's a problem. Uh, because what happens if you don't have a father is you raise weak men. Like this is not a knock on women, but I've never, I've never been a woman. So I don't know how to raise my daughters by myself to help them become strong women. I can, I can raise them to become what I think a strong woman is like, but I don't know because I've never been one, right? Well, it's, it works the same way too. Not to knock mothers, but moms aren't dads. They're not supposed to be. That's why we have father figures. So if kids aren't, you know, if they don't have a dad in their home, then someone needs to step in and fill that role, whether it's a teacher, a coach, a pastor, a youth pastor, a neighbor, another relative. I, I don't care. Little boys need men to teach them how to become men, right? Little girls need women to teach them how to become women. That's, that's the way that we are designed. That's the way that we're hardwired. And so the, the idea that it doesn't matter who raises your kid as long as someone is raising them 
I just, I disagree. Now, would it be better to have just a mom instead of an abusive dad? Probably, but that boy still needs a father figure somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, who's teaching him how to be a man, right? That's, that's yeah. a hard thing for a woman to do, right? Um, and so that's one of the major trends that I see. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm encouraged by is that I think we have seen enough men in the past, say, 20 or 30 years who have been raised without a father figure who are realizing how much that hurt them, mm-hmm. that there's now a reaction to where people are going, hey, listen, I didn't have a great father figure, so I need to be one, whether it's to my kids or to someone else's kids. Like I saw how much not having a dad hurt me, mm-hmm. and so I don't want other kids to experience that same thing. And I think people are waking up to this idea that, listen, we we can't just keep bashing dads and expect society to be okay. Same thing with moms. If if we just bashed moms for an entire generation, that would be terrible, and the effects on society would be awful. We cannot do that. We need both. And so I'm I'm both worried and I'm encouraged at the same time. Hmm. And that that's a really good perspective you put out there because I, I I'm like you. I don't believe in toxic masculinity. I no. think men are needed. You know what I mean? Yes. And it statistics show over and over, just even just as far as like going from the national father initiative, which we're partners with and the statistics show over and over and over again, just the importance of a father, just being present. That's not even a good father. That's just him being there. Any father figure. Yeah, exactly. And it even goes on. I've had other guests on here talk about how a lot of kids go gravitate towards gangs because they're looking for that male role model, whether it be positive or negative. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, I completely agree with you. So that brings us to the transition of our next topic, what we're going to be speaking about. It's about being a step parent, right? Now, that's probably one of the most challenging roles a person could take on. You know, as you being a stepfather, one can only assume the responsibility of being the authority figure above all else. It's not something that comes with a guide or a manual on how to proceed. Joel, can I have you explain the Ten Commandments of a blended family life and how they're applicable? If you don't mind, no, I don't mind at all. And and first, I just want to I want to clarify one one thing. So I'm not actually a stepdad. I'm a biological dad. I don't have any step kids, Mm -hmm. but I work with a lot of step parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've seen what like I I have a stepfather, and I work with a lot of them. But I'm not one. I just have my two biological kids. So I don't want to I don't want to misrepresent that to people. but I, you know, but I work with a lot of stepdads and most honestly, like half the kids that I teach that come to my classroom, they're in blended families as well. And so I see the effects of both good and bad parenting and step parenting. And that's kind of what led me to, to create these 10 commandments for blended families. Uh, because again, when it's done well, like you mentioned, the statistics of kids who grow up without a father. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the statistics of kids who grow up in blended families, Obviously, the statistics are not encouraging compared to kids who grow up in a traditional mother and father still married together household. And so my job is to say, okay, if the statistics are this bad, how can we fight back against that? How can we minimize the negative effects that a broken home has on children? And that's what kind of led me to create these Ten Commandments. So the general idea of these Ten Commandments – so the other thing I want to mention to, to clarify is I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm an outspoken believer. Whether you are or not, that's not really what I'm here to do. I'm not here to proselytize. But mm. I want to share that because that's where, that's where my heart's coming from. And so if you read your Bible, in the, in the Old Testament, there were Ten Commandments. And the New Testament, Jesus summarized them in two things. He said, love God and love your neighbor. Well, here with the Ten Commandments, I've kind of gone the other way. I have two key principles and then expand on those in the Ten Commandments. And the two key principles are very simple. The first one is to be the adult that you want your kids to be, right? If you want your kids to be responsible, hardworking, if you want your kids to be respectful, if you want your kids to, uh, to, to show love to other people, then you need to do that. And you need to start by doing that toward your ex, that is your children's other biological parent. Because if you can if you can still be good to them in the midst of a broken home, that sets a tremendously powerful example for your kids. So that's the first one. And the second one everybody's heard of, which is just remember your golden rule. Treat other people the way you want to be treated, not how you think they deserve based on their actions, not how they would have treated you. Treat them how you would want to be treated. And so mm-hmm. those are the two 
what I call the two key pillars. And out of that, you get these 10 commandments. So the, the first one is just communicate well. And, and that means how you communicate and when you communicate. Just figure out what works for you and do that. And if you're not sure if it's something that you should talk about with your ex, you probably should go ahead and do it. When in doubt, communicate about it. Very simple, right? Number two is to always be respectful, right? The Bible tells us a soft answer turns away wrath. I've never heard of an argument that went well once people started raising their voices, mm-hmm. especially not between exes. It, it just doesn't work well. So no. be, yeah, just be respectful, right? Especially mm-hmm. in front of your kids toward the other biological parent. Uh, number three is to use discernment, which means to pick your battles, not every hill is worth dying on. You need to learn to differentiate between a personal dislike and an actual red flag. My ex and I disagree about plenty of things. There are certain battles that I'm willing to have, and there are certain things that, you know what, it's just a personal preference. And if she chooses to, to do a different thing, that's okay because it's not my job to parent my kids when they're with their mom. It's not her job to parent our kids when the kids are with me. So we got to mm-hmm. pick our battles. And then number four, when, because they won't always, when things don't go go your way, you need to give way graciously. That means instead of being snarky or rude, you need to just be kind, right? Give way graciously when you don't get your way. Number five may be the hardest. Number five is to choose to believe the best about the other household. See, we get to pick what it is that we believe. Whether we think so or not, we do. We pick what we believe. If you get a text message from someone that you don't like, how you interpret that text message is based on your relationship with that person, right? So if you get a text or if you get a text message from your ex and you could interpret it in a way that is kind or in a way that is rude, how you choose to interpret that says more about you than it does about them. Choose to believe the best. Mm. Uh, number six is to express genuine gratitude. When you can reach an agreement with your ex, just say thank you. Just say thank you. I mean, you, you know, everybody knows when someone genuinely shows you gratitude for something that you have done, that makes an impression on us, and it causes our brains to want to do that kind of thing again. So just mm-hmm. say thank you and mean it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, number seven is to model maturity and wisdom for your kids. As a parent, you need to remember you are the adult. Your task is not to win or to get revenge or to get your own way. Your job is to parent your children in a way that communicates love and that teaches them how to be a responsible adult. That's our job, right? So that's number seven. Number eight is to ask for help. Um, One of my favorite bands of all time is U2. And one of their albums that came out probably a decade ago, one one of the lines to the song was, sometimes you can't make it on your own. Well, in a step family, that's even more true, right? Because if you're in a step family, most of the time, step families are formed because of a divorce. Sometimes they're formed because of a death in a family. Most of them are formed because of a divorce. That means if you've already been through one marriage that didn't work, whether it was your fault or not, you could use somebody's help. So ask whether it's from a counselor, a pastor, a neutral friend, another step family, a, a step family coach like me. I don't care who you get your help from, except for make sure it's someone who has worked with step families before. Because no offense to a lot of pastors, but if if the only counseling you've ever done is with people who are in first marriages, the amount of help you can provide is limited. And again, please don't hear me knocking pastors. I'm not. But the truth is the differences between first marriages and second or third marriages are tremendous. And so if the only advice you have is for people who have never been married before, that's not actually terribly helpful to, to blended families, mm-hmm. right? So, and I'd love to talk about any of these, uh, you know, if you want to go in more depth than any of them, just let me know. Um, Number nine is to use discretion. That means you need to be careful what you say about to and in front of your children. Mm -hmm. You need to be very careful about what you say about the other person in front of your kids. And again, just remember what you learned as a kid. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't Don't say anything at all. That's exactly right. Just don't say it. And then number 10, be consistent. One of the things that children need is they need to feel secure. And one of the ways that they feel secure is knowing that things are going to be consistent in their world. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to do everything exactly the same way in both houses. You're not going to. So even if the specifics aren't the same, the consistency can come in the values or the principles that parents are teaching their children. So for example, if you want your child to be honest, 
to have integrity, to have a good work ethic, whatever, then you and the other parent need to model that and you need to encourage that in your children, even if the way you go about that is different. Or let me give another example. When my girls were younger, uh, my ex-wife and I disagreed about what bedtime should be. She let them stay up a little bit later. I made them go to bed a little earlier. But the reason for that is because we woke them up at different times. She would let them sleep in an extra half hour or 45 minutes on school days. I would wake them up earlier so they had more time to get ready. Is one right and one wrong? No, because what we wanted is we wanted our children to get enough sleep. Whether they're going to bed at 9 or at 10, or if they were waking up at you know, 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock, as long as they got enough sleep and they got to school on time, what's the problem? The key is we were both consistent in that we wanted our children to get enough sleep so that they were developing and healthy. And that's what I mean when I say even if the specifics aren't the same, what our value was was we wanted our kids to be healthy. And so that's number 10. Those are the 10 commandments for blended families. And again, the reason I created those is to give families a guide for how to work together well. I've never heard a parent say, you know what, I'd really like my child to be dishonest and lazy and irresponsible. And so if, if I, as a parent, want my kids to be honest and responsible, I guarantee my ex-wife wants the same thing. So why can't we work together to encourage our kids to do that? Hmm. And it, it goes to show too, like you guys got to be on the same page, obviously, Absolutely. Right? that communication and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's all about the children what's yep. best for the kids. And if you keep that in the forefront of your mind, both the parents, you know what I mean? I, you know, you're going to start working towards that common goal because yep. at the end of the day, that's what you want. You want your kids to be healthy, right? You want to right. raise healthy adults, not broken adults, right? Agreed. Yep. Now, with that being said, what are some of the biggest challenges that are facing blended and, and broke or not broken, but blended families. Yeah. So a lot of the issues that come up in blended families are due to what we kind of just alluded to. Mm -hmm. And that is the fact that even when parents are on the same page, they may go about things in different ways. Mm -hmm. So I've actually, one of the things that I share with, um, with audiences at, at conferences I speak at are what I call the five discussions that every blended family needs to have. And these are the different issues that cause problems in step families. The, the first one is issues regarding the schedule, right? Because in a, in a regular traditional family, right, you know how you're going to celebrate Christmas or Thanksgiving or birthdays because you only have one home, right? But in a blended family, do you celebrate them at mom's house or dad's house or both? Do you, what, if you're, what if one family wants to travel over a holiday, but the other family wants you to be home on that holiday, right? These are, what, what do you do about birthdays, right? What do you do about vacations over the summer? What do you do about school schedules and extracurricular activities? What do you do about soccer games and ballet recitals and, you know, things like that? What do you do about um, medical care when you've got to schedule an, an appointment or things like Those are complicated issues in a nuclear home. They are extra complicated when you have two homes and four parents to coordinate between. It's just complicated. So that's one of the big issues. The second one is what I call personal issues. Um, those have to do with hurts from the past, issues of disrespect, you know, that kind of stuff. That's really hard as well. Uh, the third one and most common one are parenting disagreements. Um, even in a traditional marriage, mom and dad are not always going to agree on how they should raise and discipline their children. If that's true with people who are still married and living in the same home, how much more true is that when people have already split up and live in different homes? You're going to disagree about things like phones and cars and clothes and makeup and dating and sports and friends and television and grades and money. And can you tell that I have teenagers with some of these mm -hmm. topics, right? Yeah. You're going to disagree about those things. And so you have to figure out what are our common values, because I guarantee the way mom looks at teenage daughters and how she wants to raise them is going to be different than how dad is going to want to raise teenage daughters. It, it just is, right? Mm -hmm. um, the fourth set of disagreements is what I call interfamily issues. These are issues like sibling rivalries, um, jealousy, especially between bio kids or stepkids, different or conflicting family traditions, um, favoritism, whether that's real or simply perceived by the children, uh, use of other people's belongings. So if you've got kids that go back and forth and other kids that live in your home permanently, can the kids who live there permanently use the other kids' stuff when they're gone? And if so, which stuff and when and why, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
what do you spend on gifts for your kids? Do, do I take my girls out to buy presents for their mom, even though we're divorced? Like these are issues that are going to come up. And, and the sooner you deal with them, the better off you are. Cause here's the, here's the really awful part. And I got to tell you, I don't have anything easy to tell step parents, but here's the real hard part. As soon as you have it figured out, guess what? You're going to go back to square one because your kids are a year older and everything mm. changes. My 10 year old daughter was way different than when she was my nine year old daughter. Now that she is my 17 year old daughter, good heavens above. Is she different than when she was my 10 year old? right? My, my 14 year old, not the same kid she was when she was 12. As soon as I thought I had it figured out, bam, we're back at square one in some ways, because you know what? She's not the same kid. And then the last disagreement is what I call the et cetera. These are things like disagreements having to do with faith issues, grades, general behavior, buying patterns of, you know, household supplies or things like that, school supplies. And, and here's a big one that often causes problems for the kids that parents may not think about. It's mm-hmm. what we call switchover items versus permanent items. What do you keep in your home so that your child doesn't feel like they're only visiting versus what is it okay for them to bring back and forth? Because what you don't want is if your kids live with you 50% of the time, you don't want them to feel like they're just visiting every time they come to your house. Mm-hmm. Right? That, because that's hard on the kids, whether parents realize it or not. So those are a lot of the common disagreements that come up in blended families. And, and again, those are topics I love discussing at conferences. Those are topics I love discussing with my clients because once you have learned how to at least begin addressing those problems, it's amazing how fewer disagreements pop up because parents start to be proactive about having those discussions. So instead of waiting until there's a disagreement about a scheduling issue, just talk about it ahead of time, right? Mm. Hey, listen, there's something coming up next week. Would it be possible for you to, and then fill in the blank instead of waiting till the night before and going, Hey, remember you have this thing tomorrow, right? That's the, the response you get is going to be completely different. Yeah, it's definitely, you got to talk about that elephant in the room, you know, and I think a lot, a lot of parents, uh, they don't want to, for whatever reason. Um, some of the stuff I wanted to share with you, Joel, that I've seen mm-hmm. that fathers have asked me questions about is, uh, based around, you know, a lot of these, these, these five topics that you just talked about. Um, one of them being that the, the child, right. Say for instance, mm-hmm. um, guy marries a girl who, has a, a child from a previous, uh, you know, encounter, right? Right. Now she has two kids with him and she has one from another guy. Okay. But with that being said, now they're having conflicts because they don't want to put their money together. You know, you right. know, when you get married, you, you know, a lot of people, you know, join bank accounts and stuff like that. But now right. he's, ha- he's having a conflict of, of having money together with her because she's still taking care of her own family. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that brings a lot of tension in the family. Yep. Yeah. Completely agree. And you know, I like, what do you tell somebody about something like that? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's a great example to bring up because unfortunately with a lot of blended families, there are not any blanket answers. And that, again, that's where I go back to the 10 commandments because those were designed in such a way that can be applied differently in different marriages, because there's no one size fits all answer for step families. Cause every step family is different. Every, every blended family comes from a different story, which means what works in one blended family may not work in another one in terms of these specific applications, but the principles of those 10 commandments are true. They mm-hmm. work. But the thing is the way that I communicate with my ex, that might not work for one of my clients. They may have to communicate with their ex differently. Maybe their communication is better. Maybe it's worse. Maybe they like to communicate via text message instead of an email. Maybe they like to do a quick video chat once a week to check in instead of just calling each other once every couple of weeks to check in. I don't know. But what I know is communication is crucial. Mm-hmm. What it looks like in each blended family may be different. So the principles remain true but the applicability is going to be different because your story is different than mine. Mm, I like that. I like that. Another one of the things that I always get to is like, say for instance, uh, grandparents, right. Mm-hmm. To a, a step grandchild. Right. Yep. Now them treating them different. 
I yes. mean, I, I, I don't know how many times I've, I've heard that, you know, yeah. and it, it's sad, you know, cause that, that's not a message you're a, a, a good positive message you're conveying to this child who, you know, you're bringing right. into this family, right? Correct. Through no fault of their own. Exactly. Um, no, I think that you raise a great point, and and this is where I got to give my in-laws credit. Um, they have been absolutely brilliant to my daughters. That is my wife's parents. Um, from the from the very first time we got together, my in-laws told me that they were going to treat my kids the exact same way they treat all their biological grandchildren, and they have been true to their word for the entire decade that their daughter and I have been together, um, or close to a decade now. And that goes a long way, both obviously showing me love because they're treating my kids well, but also to my daughters. Like my daughters never had to worry, are their grandparents going to treat them differently because they're not biological grandkids? And I understand that some biological grandparents may not want to do that. But the problem is if you don't do that, again, what message are you sending to those kids that you don't love them as much? You don't have to love them as much. That, that I'm not telling you you have to feel that emotion. What I am telling you is the way that you treat them says more about you than it does about them. And if you are purposely showing favoritism to one set of grandkids over another, you're not sending the message that those kids need to hear. And so that's something that I would encourage you to maybe pray about or check your heart about or ask yourself why it is that you're doing that. Because again, how about this? Let me give you this example. Um, I teach at a small Christian high school, and so one of the classes I get to teach every day is Bible class, and this year I have a group of sophomore boys, and there's a boy in my class who said something really powerful the other day because we were talking about um, how our God in, in, the Christian, in the Christian circle, we believe that our God is in control. He is sovereign, and therefore when we ask him for stuff and he says no, the proper response is to say thank you because we ought to trust that he knows better than we do. What's good for us? Does that make sense? Yeah. Just like, just like we know better for our five-year-old what our five-year-old needs, mm -hmm. right? Parents know better than their kids what their kids need, you know, most of the time. Um, and so we were talking about this, and, and I said something to the kid. I said, it's kind of like people who are divorced, you're, you as kids often try to play the parents off each other. You'll go to mom and ask for something, and if she says no, you go to dad and ask for something, and you don't tell him mom has already said no. And so then when dad says yes, now you've just made mom ticked off at dad, and it's because you did the wrong thing and you know it. And the tenth, the, this 10th grade boy looked up at me and goes, yeah, well, I didn't ask him to divorce, so this is kind of how I get back at them. Mm. And I said, okay, well, first of all, I understand where you're coming from. Second, I appreciate your honesty. Third, you're still wrong to do that, but we'll come back to that later. Mm -hmm. I said, here's the thing. At least you are honest about your motivations because most kids are not willing to admit what he did. And that is, one, I didn't ask for this situation. Most of the time, kids are not the ones who ask their parents to split up. Mm -hmm. And so they're just caught in the crossfire. And as adults, whether it's parents or grandparents, we need to remember that, especially when they're young kids. Man, they didn't ask for that. Mm -hmm. They didn't ask for that. That's not their fault. That's not their choice. And so we need to make sure that we are not punishing the children for something that is not their fault. Because if we do, they're going to want to get back at us the way this sophomore boy said that. And again, I appreciate his honesty because most kids aren't willing to admit that. But when he said that, one of the other kids in the class raised his hand and said, yep, I do that too. And it was like, okay, well, good to know. I appreciate your honesty as well because you didn't ask for your parents to split up. And so you don't like what's happening. And so you're just trying to get what you want, even if it causes problems for the adults, because, again, it's not your fault they split up. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard. But I understand where they're coming from. If a kid didn't ask for this and that's the situation they're caught in, it makes sense that they'd be angry. It makes sense that they'd feel hurt. It makes sense that they would respond out of that hurt and try to get back at their parents. The way to prevent that is to make sure that we are treating the children well so that they're not looking to get back at us. Hmm, that makes perfect sense, especially with children, because children tend to take the 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 brunt of it, right? They they mm -hmm. tend to to think that, man, if I'm only good enough, this would have never happened. If, right. the, if, yep. if I would have just obeyed my parents, this would have never happened. You know what I mean? Yep. That or they become, and this is what really breaks my heart, they often become pawns. 
mm-hmm. in, in the argument between the parents. I actually, I recently spoke at an event up in Oregon last month. And when I was up there, we did a little workshop for a lot of people who work at Head Start groups, right? I work, I've done a lot of work with Head Start groups. That's been a lot of fun. And for those of you that aren't aware, Head Start is an organization that works with typically low-income families to help children prepare so that when they go to first grade, they're not behind. Because again, statistics show the kids from low income and or broken homes, when they go to school, they're typically already behind. So Head Start tries to bridge that gap, which is good. So we're working with a lot of these Head Start teachers and administrators, and I asked them to share some stories that they've had to deal with. And then let's talk about how what I taught them could have helped them handle it differently. I said, okay, great. So this lady shares a story. She said, we had this one couple who divorced a year ago, and since they divorced – Every other weekend, one of the parents has been in jail because so the kids go back and forth every two weeks. And on the in-between weekend, that is on the weekend in the middle of the two weeks the kids are with mom, mom would call the police and lie about the father to get him arrested. And then when the kids came back to dad's house on the middle of those two weeks when the mom was alone and the dad had the two kids, had the kids, dad would call the police and get mom arrested by lying about the way she treated the kids the previous two weeks. They had done that to each other for a year. Wow. I, are you, how petty can you be? I, I don't know what happened to cause that. What I do know is the people who are, who are getting hurt the most by that are the children who are having to go back and forth and hear stories about what mom and dad did or didn't do because they're angry at each other. I, I heard another story from this same group where uh, one of the Head Start people shared, and they said, yeah, we had a mom who – in the divorce agreement, dad was supposed to come pick up kids from our Head Start Center. Okay. Well, but the mom didn't want them to, so she got a restraining order to where the dad couldn't come within 50 feet of her, and then she would volunteer at the Head Start Center on the days dad was supposed to come pick the kid up because if he actually did what he was supposed to and came and picked the kid up, she could have him arrested for violating the restraining order. But if he didn't come and pick the kid up, she could get him in trouble for not fulfilling his part of the divorce agreement. My gosh. Yeah, and so what the Head Start people had to do is they had to walk the child down to the end of the block to get in dad's car. Like, are you kidding me with that stuff? Dude, listen, I understand being hurt about a divorce because there are people who are listening right now who are going, yeah, well, you don't know the whole story. You are correct. I do not know the whole story. What I do know is regardless of your whole story, you need to grow up Mm. because the child is the one who is hurting. And if if you want to blast me for that, feel free to do so. I don't, I don't care. I've been glad there are plenty of people who don't like me. I'm just not that worried about it, okay? If that's the way that you are putting your child in the middle of your disagreement, you are the problem. I saw a great post from someone on Instagram the other day. It said, if you hate your ex more than you love your kids, that explains a lot of your actions. Wow, and that's so true. I mean, right, man, if you just keep that in mind at the forefront. Yep. Man. Love your kids more than you hate your ex. It will change your behavior. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely <laughs> some great advice right there for, you know, our listeners and everybody else, you know what I mean? Cause man, it's, it's all about your kids. I mean, realize, open your eyes and realize what you're doing to them. Yeah. You know, they didn't, they yep. didn't ask to be born. Yep. You know, and it took two of you guys and yep. obviously you guys loved each other enough to, to get yeah, at some point you didn't hate yeah. them as much as you do now. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? So try to be civil, right? That's if, it. if all possible, you know, yep. you know, at least keep it in mind that, you know, it's, it's for the betterment of your children, at least. Well, and the other know? thing that a lot of parents forget is this is for a limited time. Once your kid is 18 or moves out of the house, you're not going to have to deal with your ex nearly as often. You mm-hmm. may still have to see them when your kids graduate college or when they get married or like, you know, when they have kids or whatever, but like, it's not, you're not going to have to deal with your ex every day of your life. You're only going to have to deal with them until the kid moves out. And then the amount you're going to have to deal with them becomes much, much less. And that's something a lot of parents forget too, is regardless of how bad your situation is, this is temporary. It's not Mm. going to be this way forever. Just hold on. Hold fast is the term that we use a lot, right? Just, just Mm -hmm. hang on and it'll get better. Man. I even had a a past guest, Mark real, who does father's rights movements out of uh, Southern California. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he supports a lot of fathers out there and stuff like that, because I mean, a lot of the, you know, and I don't want to get into this, but you know, for lack of better words, you know, the court system is one-sided 
pretty much yes against it, fathers you know yes and that's that's because historically it was biased the other way and that changed a lot in the past 40 or 50 years like i'm a history teacher that's what i do but mm-hmm. you're correct today the, the court system in most places is very biased towards the mother's rights and against the fathers and that's because throughout the rest of history it was biased very much the other way so the pendulum just swung back a little too far mm. huh no balance but the, one of the one of the things he said and I'll, i always say this to a lot of these guys who are going through divorce right now the first 90 days of your divorce mm-hmm. is the most crucial part you know could mm. you know level heads prevail and he yeah. says whether it be text messages or whatever you do anything that can be used against you don't do it that's right <laughs> be, yeah be very careful be very very careful because that's going to determine you know a lot of things with your court yeah. case and stuff like yeah. that so that's that's very wise because it it, it lays the foundation for you know the next 5 10 15 20 years of your relationship with your ex. So we've got a book actually um, that we were given when my my wife and I got married. It's called the the most important year of a man's life, and it's about the first year of your marriage because that lays the foundation for your relationship. And I think what you just said is very true in terms of a divorce as well. Those first three months to a year of your divorce lay the foundation for how things are probably going to go for the next decade and a half, you know, or more. And and so be very careful with how you lay those foundation. Does that mean that sometimes you're probably going to feel like you got gypped and they got more than you did? Probably. Mm-hmm. But again, it, I hate to say it, but it takes me back to where I started, which is life's not fair. Rub some dirt on it. <laughs> Does that mean that you shouldn't fight for your rights as a father? Absolutely not. I am not saying that. What I am saying is in a situation, you have to decide, is this particular issue, is it worth fighting about? Or should I overlook this? in order to focus on a bigger picture. That's what you have to learn how to do. Definitely just having that vision for your why and having mm-hmm. that why being, you know, your, your, the betterment of your children, of course. That's it. You know? Absolutely. And that it's, it's pretty amazing. And when you have that why, that'll get you through a lot of hard times, bro. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Listeners, seriously, write that one down because David's exactly right. Like remember why it is you are doing what you're doing. You're not doing it for your ex, so what if they benefit from it? You're not doing it for your ex. You're doing it for your kids. If your ex benefits, so be it. But do the right thing for your kid because it's the right thing for your kid. Hmm, I like that. Um, I wanted to ask you, Joel, what could a father do to, like, say, for instance, blended family, stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, A father, right? He marries a new wife. He has two kids. She comes in. What can he do to make her feel more secure in their marriage? with the blended family? What can a father do? That's a great question. And it because in blended families, most of the time, there's going to be a high degree or higher than normal degree of insecurity. And mm-hmm. it's, it's because it's not a first marriage. And so what you have to do is you just have to take extra steps to give your spouse security. So for example, when my wife and I got married, um, it was my second marriage. It was her first. And obviously I still had to communicate with my ex-wife a lot because we have two kids together. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I did to help my wife feel more secure was to include her in all of the discussions about my children. And, and the reason for that is not because she didn't trust me. It wasn't because I don't know how to parent my kids. It was because I wanted to treat her as an equal partner in our marriage because what we do with our kids very much affects our marriage. And so I wanted her to know that her opinion matters, right? If you want to cause more insecurity in your spouse, by all means, exclude them from the parenting process, exclude them from the decision-making process, right? Because that'll cause a lot of insecurity. So what I'm saying is don't, don't do that. Include your spouse and be proactive about asking your wife, okay, what do you think about this situation, right? Now, again, there's no one-size-fits-all formula, but I would encourage you when it comes to step parenting to also go very slow, go very, very slow in terms of the relationship of the step parent with the kids. Let the kids set the pace, and it depends on the age of the child. It depends on whether the child is a boy or a girl. Um, It depends on how long they have known the new step parent before you got married. A lot of those things come into it. But one of the biggest things you can do is to involve the step parent 
in the decision-making process because then they know their opinion matters. If you don't do that, it's going to lead to even more insecurity because you're going to make them feel like their, decision, their, their opinion doesn't even count in their own home. And that's not very fun. That's not a fun place to be. Right? So that's one of the biggest things I would say is involve them in the parenting decisions, even if it's behind closed doors. Let them know that their opinion matters. Same thing when you're dealing with your ex. Let your current spouse know that their opinion matters in terms of how you deal with your ex. Because the bottom line is my relationship with my ex also affects my relationship with my wife. It does. And so I need to keep my wife up to date on my communication with my ex so that she knows where things stand. Because again, otherwise, a huge chunk of your life is a big old black hole that they know nothing about. And that's not good. No, then that definitely just falls back into the uh, infidelity. You know what I mean? One of the things I, I, I heard was infidelity is hiding something. You know, a lot of people think infidelity is like, uh, you know, when your spouse is not being faithful and stuff like that. But infidelity is really you hiding. Yeah. Well, and that's where it always starts. Nobody starts with an affair. Mm -hmm. you, you start with something little that you just happen to not tell your spouse or you think it's not that big a deal. So you're not going to worry about it. And and you're exactly right. It It, you know, it can grow from there into something that becomes ultimately what could cost you a marriage. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's some great advice. And I appreciate that, Joel. Um, I had a friend of mine. Okay. He was having trouble with uh, his, his, uh, his wife's children. Okay. And he was getting frustrated with the stepkids. Okay. Over issues of disrespect or disregard of the rules, you know, and he was trying right. to, I mean, this is a teenage daughter, mind you. Yep. So, you know, how teenagers are, especially girls, you know, <laughs> yep. so he's trying to gain her trust, but at the same token, he never really paid attention to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of just left it like, Oh, you're not my kids. I don't want to adopt you, you know, yada, yada, you know, cause I, I know a lot of fathers are like, Oh, well, they're not my kids. So why did I need to adopt them? Or the mother will be like, you know what? They have a father. I don't want you to adopt these kids. Vice versa. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. He, he was having issues with that. You know what I mean? And I don't know. What do you, what do you, what do you say to that? Well, I, well, first of all, like the, the adoption issue is one that every family has to sort out for themselves. Like my, mm -hmm. my wife has not adopted our daughters mm -hmm. because their mom lives two miles down the road. And, and so like, that's not what we chose to do. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that she's not involved in parenting them. Mm -hmm. It just means that she is not legally listed as their mother because their biological mom is here and involved and all that kind of stuff. So that's something you have to sort out for your own family. Um, and whatever you choose to do depends on your story and your decision-making. That's fine. Mm. Um, but if you are a father and you are dealing it with issues of disrespect from your stepchildren, honestly, the best thing you can do is to take a step back and talk about it with your spouse and mm. let them know how you feel and say, hey, listen, I would like to address this topic. However, as the step parent, I may not have the authority to, because again, you've got to let the kids set the pace. You can't force a relationship. You can't force a step kid, especially not a teenager and especially not a teenage girl. You can't force a step kid to like, love, or even respect their step parents. I, I wish that you could. I wish I had something easier to tell people, but you cannot force them. You can force them to be respectful, but even that might just cause more problems if you start with that, right? And so what I would recommend that you do if you're a stepdad who is being respected, I would actually encourage you to step back and become at least temporarily secondhand parenting, which is if you have a problem with what the stepkid is doing, talk about it behind closed doors with the biological parent and say, hey, listen, I saw this thing. I didn't really appreciate how they spoke to me that way, but I know that if I address it, it's just going to make the situation worse. So I wanted to mention it to you and get your thoughts. Is this something worth dealing with right now or should I just let it go? Because again, and this is something I've had to tell a number of step parents as well as myself as a biological parent, sometimes there are certain things our kids, especially our teenagers, are going to do we're just going to have to let go. Sometimes we, we cannot correct every single thing that our teenager does wrong and expect to keep a relationship with them. And I hate that. Mm -hmm. 
but it, but it is the case because if you spend your entire time correcting them, it's hard to build a relationship with someone who's telling you you're wrong mm. all the time, right? And so the first thing to do is to try to build a relationship. And the way that you do that is by going at the pace of the child. So if you're a stepdad and you've got a teenage stepdaughter, don't start by going to her and saying, I want us to be great and close and tight. So we're going to go on stepdad daughter dates all the time. Because if she doesn't want to, you're not building a relationship with her. You're just driving her crazy and annoying her. <laughs> Instead, find out what they are interested in and just slowly try to build a relationship based on that. Like, so for me, I like sports. If my step, if I had stepkids and they like sports, that's an easy place to start. If they don't like sports, great. Ask them what they do like. And if all you get is silence for a week, okay, wait a week and ask again. Or look at what they're doing. Are they reading certain novels? Are they writing? Are they drawing? Are they playing piano? Are they playing video games? Are they going to concerts? Like, what are they in? It's the same kind of way you build a relationship with an adult. Ask them what they're interested in. Actually pay attention to the answer and then ask more questions about it. Once you have a relationship, then you can start worrying about the rest of it. I, a very wise man, and I've heard multiple people say this, but a very wise man once told me rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to enforce rules and you don't have a relationship with that person yet, you're, you're just causing resentment and it's going to lead to rebellion. The first thing to do is to try to build that relationship. And it may take longer than you want, but that's okay. Because what's the other option? Force them to have a relationship with you? How's that going to go? <laughs> Bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's so true even with your with your biological children too. You know, yep. um, That's what I'm learning about my teenagers. Absolutely. And what I, what I learned with my daughter is, you know, cause I have boys as well. And, uh, one of our past guests said that daughters and boys are different. Yeah. And boys need structure. Okay. Yep. They need structure before they have that relationship, but that doesn't fly with daughters. Daughters need a relationship right. first. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and I'll be the first to admit, I got that very wrong with my biological daughters. Yep. Uh, when they were younger and especially after the divorce, um, we, we struggled a lot because I was, I was very sure that the proper way to raise them was to be very strict and to be stern and to make sure they followed all the rules. And, and honestly, yes, we need our kids to follow the rules, but I was too strict and too harsh mm -hmm. and it caused problems. And honestly, as part of a result of that, like they live with their mom. And that was their choice. And I didn't like it, but that's what they chose to do. And so now what I'm trying to do is to rebuild a relationship with them. And that's one of the things that I'm very open about. And that's something that I share with my clients. And I say, hey, listen, I'm not telling you these things because I've done it perfectly. I'm telling you these things because I got it wrong and I learned it was wrong. And I want you to avoid that. I was talking to my wife about a month ago. I call it stubbed toe wisdom right? Like once you've stubbed your toe, you learn not to do that again. And you can help other people not stub their toe in the same way. And, and so that's one of the things that I've learned is exactly what you said. Like daughters are different than sons and you have to focus on the relationship first before you can focus on the rules. Mm. If you don't have the relationship, they may follow your rules for a little while, but they're not going to when you're not watching them. And ultimately what we want is we want kids who do the right thing, whether they're being focused on that moment or not. And that's, that's the character that we're after. We're trying to build in our children, you yeah. know, having them do the right thing when nobody's looking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, a lot of this, you know, a lot of this stuff you've touched base on is, is leadership. Cause mm -hmm. let's be honest, you know, being a father is being a leader, you yep. know, now what can a father do to be more effective in his leadership? So I'm a firm believer that what leadership is about is about taking your gifts and talents and using them to serve others to help mm -hmm. them become the best version of themselves. So as a father, if you want to be a better leader in your home, ask yourself, what, what am I good at? What have I been gifted in? How can I use that to serve my wife, to serve our kids? That's what we need to be thinking of as leaders. I, I used to be much more of an authoritarian kind of leader. It was my way or the highway. And now I've realized in the past decade, especially since my divorce, when I realized how bad of a leader I'd been, 
I've realized that leadership isn't about me. So that one of the biggest things we can do as fathers is to take our ego out of the equation. I'm not parenting my kids to make me look good. If that's the way that I'm parenting, which was, I will admit, for a number of years, if I'm parenting my kids so that they make me look good, I'm not actually parenting them. I'm using them to prop up my ego. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not how we're supposed to do it. I don't. How my kids reflect on me should not be my focus. The question is, what's going on in my kids' hearts, and how can I help them? That's what I need to do. So in terms of practical steps, one of the best things I would say is get to know your kids. Purposely set aside a time to spend one-on-one time with your kids, whether it's once a week or once a month or whatever. Like I, So I've got a 17-year-old daughter. She's a senior in high school. So she's less than a year from graduation and moving off to college. I texted her a couple of days ago and I said, hey, listen, um, can you give me one day a week or one day every two weeks when we can commit to spending time together? Because it's really hit me lately. You're going to leave in a year and I'd really like to see you a lot before you go. And she texted me back and said, certainly I can do that. Now she's busy. She's homeschooling. She's taking dual enrollment classes. She's working two different jobs. Like she's a motivated, driven kid. She's wanted to be independent since she was about seven. But she's about to actually be independent. And, and I would like an opportunity to help her learn how to do that. But that means that I need to spend time with her. It's hard for me to lead when we don't see each other. And so that means I need to be conscious and purposeful about spending time with my daughter so that we can form that relationship so that when she goes off to college, if she needs something, I want her to call. I don't care if it's me or her mom, but I want her to have this. So this is something else that I thought, which I loved. Uh, And again, this is from my Christian background. It was someone who posted something that said, religion says, "Uh uh-oh, I broke the rules. I don't want dad to find out. Christianity says, I broke the rules. I need to call my dad. And, and, and that's what, that's the kind of, I told my kids, I sent them that screenshot. I said, this is the kind of father I have not been. It is the kind of father I want to be. I want my kids to know if they do something boneheaded, the first person you can call because you know he will come to your rescue and love you and help you is your father, right? That's what we need to do as leaders in our families. Our kids need to know no matter what, we will always love them. Now, does that mean that I'm going to shield her from every consequence if she makes a bonehead choice? No, because that's not love. Does it mean that I will do my best to help her deal with the consequences? Absolutely. Man, dude, that was just so, so much great information you just gave us there, Joel. Um, I absolutely agree with everything you had to say because it's so true. You need to capture their hearts. You know what I mean? I want to be that father that they call at two, three in the morning. Cause I don't know how many stories I've heard where these kids are afraid they're, they're drinking. Kids are going to be kids, whatever, you know what I mean? They're out there and you know, they, they get in the car with the drunk driver or whatever, because they don't want to call dad because Lord forbid, he's going to freaking have a, he's going to, he's right. He's going to have an aneurysm and yell at everybody and ground me for life. And exactly. And kids, you know, they're still, their frontal lobe's not even developed yet. (laughs) I tell them that all the time. So they're not going to make the right decision. They're going to get in this vehicle. And then what happens? Car accident, death, you know what I mean? Lots of horrible things. And we hear stories like that all the time, you know, but I want to be that father. And I know a lot of our listeners want to be that father that they can, your kids can call, man. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Have the, the goal is to have the relationship such that when your kid screws up, they call you because they know that you love them and you will help instead of they don't want to call you because they're afraid all you're going to do is condemn them and come down on them. Again, that doesn't mean we don't discipline our kids, mm-hmm. but it does mean that the way we discipline them needs to communicate love. And I will, again, I will admit every day I got that wrong for most of my kids' lives, and I'm still trying to pick up the pieces and fix that. So listeners, I'm telling you, I don't care how old your kids are. It's never too late to start having a different relationship with them. Mm, man, that was so amazing. Joel, um, we're going to be getting off here now. Thank you so much for coming on here and just sharing your wisdom with our audience. I know they're going to, it's going to be deeply valued and appreciated. Um, how can anybody get a hold of you, bro, if they want to contact you and, you know, just talk to you or whatever, you know? 
Yeah, thank you for asking. So I'm easy to find on social media. I'm on uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. My name is Joel W. Hallbaker. That's H-A-W-B as in boy, A-K-E-R. You can find me on there. You can come by my websites, which are stepdadding. Uh, that's stepdadding.com. You can find me at joelwhallbaker.com or reallifeleading.com. And there's contact forms on all of those. I would love to connect with your listeners on social media. I share a lot of stuff about our family. I share a lot of stuff about my blended family work. Um, go to stepdadding.com. There's a ton of free resources. I have what's called a complete blended family toolkit you can download. There's a free online course uh, that's like 15 hours of free information from other blended family experts that you can download uh, or get access to. Like we have tons and tons of resources because the goal is to help families. So definitely connect with me, email me, you know, whatever you want to do. I would love to hear from your listeners and hear how I can help them. Absolutely. Once again, thank you, Joel, for coming on here, bro. And I uh, look forward to doing more of these podcasts with you. And uh, thank you, bro. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it, David. Right on. Thank you, brother.